It's a pleasure and an honor to, to be able to be here this morning to deliver the Easter service message. This is one thing growing up that I never thought I would ever do. So you get to experience it with me. How about that? Um, but as I said, though, I am very, very humbled. Um, every opportunity I, I get to, to share a message from God's word, um, and I, I want to reiterate that, that the word of God is living, it's active, it's true, and everything in which we read out of it is authoritative, and it applies to us today. Um, nothing that I will say today is from my own doing. It is all from the very words of God. Um, and so I'm very, very excited to share with you what the Lord has placed in my heart this week. Um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And some of you guys are already thinking, wow, I don't think I've ever heard an Easter message out of 1 Corinthians 15. Well, here you go. By the way, I want us to look around real quick. This right here, look how full the sanctuary is. I know I'm putting everybody on the spot and some of the visitors like, the visitors like, yeah, I ain't coming back anymore. Um, which by the way, welcome to those of you who are visiting, especially those who are watching online. We're super thankful for y'all tuning in. But this is the power of the resurrection, guys. This is the power of the gospel. The gospel brings us together in perfect unity under Christ. And that's what I want us to look at and to, and to honor today is the power of the resurrection. Uh, but before we get into 1 Corinthians 15, uh, I'm going to pray for us. And then I would love to just do a review over what has happened throughout this past week, as many of us call the Passion Week or Holy Week. But let us pray real quick, and then we'll dive in together. Father, we come before you, and Lord... What an honor it is to be in your house today, to be in your presence, to be able to reflect on one of the greatest, the greatest event mankind has ever seen, the resurrection, the resurrection of your son, Jesus. And Father, it's only by your power, by your authority, and by your great love that you sent your son, Jesus, not only to come and live a perfect life, to die the perfect death, to be buried and only to be three days later risen from the grave so that way the gospel can be solidified and we can have salvation through your son. What a powerful message this is. And Lord, I pray that as we spend time in your word today that you will reveal yourself to us in ways that you've never been revealed before. And that we will be in awe and inspired by the living word that penetrates our hearts daily and that we'll live by it and for it daily as believers in Jesus. We love it. We praise you. We thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, this past week, many of us know what it was, right? Passion Week. The Holy Week. However, I am just as guilty as many of you in the room. As we go throughout Passion Week and Holy Week, we neglect to stop and to reflect what has actually happened throughout this week. This past week. And so that's what I want us to do today. I want us to do a, just a quick overview of what's happened this past week that's ultimately led us up to this day, the Resurrection Sunday. Last Sunday, a week ago, was Palm Sunday. This is the day that Jesus uh, came in to, from Bethany to the, into Jerusalem called the Triumphal Entry. Then Monday, the next day, Jesus goes in and he cleanses the temple. He goes in and sees what man has done to God's temple and he cleanses it and says, you have turned 
a place of uh, the sanctuary of worship into a den of robbers. He cleanses the temple. And on Tuesday, we see Jesus with his disciples. He curses the fig tree. And from there, he then has debates in the temple. And then he goes on and teaches the disciples about the end times on the Mount of Olives. The Olivet Discourse begins. Wednesday, so it's a harder day, is the day which Judas betrays Jesus. He agrees to betraying Jesus for silver. It's also the same day, though, that the disciples and Jesus, they go and prepare the upper room for the Passover. That Thursday would be the day that Jesus would then share the Passover meal with his disciples. He would then return to the Garden of Gethsemane, to where we would see him praying in the garden, for he knew what was about to happen to him. And that night, Jesus would be betrayed, or Jesus would be betrayed with a kiss by Judas. And then there, the disciples would flee. That night, going into Friday morning, after he was arrested, Jesus would then be taken to Caiaphas' house for a preliminary hearing. And it would only go on from there. Friday morning, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., Jesus would be tried by Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, and Pilate. Between 7 and 8 a.m., he would then be tried by Herod Antipas, and then condemned by Pilate. From 8 to 9 a.m., Jesus would then be mocked, he would be flogged, he'd be beaten, dressed with the crown of thorns. He would then carry his cross to the hill of Golgotha, and then crucified. 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., Jesus would then hang on the cross. And that's where we also see Jesus looking out into the crowd, forgiving the people for what they have done. Whew. 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., Jesus is then mocked by the people, even after he's just forgiven them. Then he also has a very incredible encounter with one of the criminals on the cross, if you guys can recall. One criminal is looking at him. He is mocking him, saying, if you're truly the son of God, why don't you call down on him and, and rescue yourself? And the other one looks at him and says, are you crazy? Do you not know who this man is? He is truly the son of God. And then he looks at Jesus and says, Lord, if it's at all possible, please forgive me. And Jesus looks at him and says, you've been forgiven. At 12 noon, darkness would come over the land, and it would stay that way until 2 p.m. Between 2 and 3 p.m., the curtain would be torn in two in the temple. Jesus would then surrender his spirit to the Father, and Jesus would then die at roughly 3 p.m., and then declared righteous by the centurion. Between 4 and 5 p.m., Jesus would then be buried in the tomb, and we know what happens after that. He would be buried for three days, three nights. But on that third day, Jesus did not stay buried. That's crucial. You see, up to this point, Jesus has been declaring this message of how the Son of Man was to come and that he was going to come and redeem and purchase his people by his blood and that through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection, that's how it was going to happen. So without the resurrection, is that possible? But on the third day, the greatest event in the history of mankind happened. Jesus rose from the grave.
I would love to read that account to you guys out of Matthew. You can hold your spot in 1 Corinthians 15. But I would love to read it to you out of Matthew. 28 verse 1, it says this. Now after the Sabbath, the passage will be up on the screen. Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a, a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, he, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them said, and said, Greetings. And they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. This man, Jesus who came bearing the name Son of God, walked among men for 33 years. The last three years of his life poured himself into 12 uneducated men called the disciples to teach them the ways of God and his commandments. He did miracles upon miracles. He healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He even brought back the dead. This man, Jesus, would go on to die for you and I, and then to rise. And then not only to rise, but he then began to appear before everybody. This resurrection has great power. And it's because of this resurrection, the world has been impacted and changed by the gospel for over 2,000 years. And it's also why so many men and women and children who have gone before us have given their lives for this gospel message, for this name of Jesus. And it's also the result of why we find ourselves here today in the sanctuary. Why we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Why we allow it to teach us and to admonish us. With an all wisdom, and while we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God, as Paul would say in Colossians 3.16, this resurrection is why we are doing this. That's the power of the resurrection. As I said, it's the single most important event that has ever taken place in the history of mankind, and especially for those of us who are in this place or in this world who proclaim to be believers of Jesus. Because without this event, without the resurrection, there would be no hope. There would be no forgiveness of sin. And there would be no salvation for our souls. Now, I know some of you guys are probably thinking, wow, Josh, this is going really great. The mood is really wonderful in here. 
But this is the point. Without the bodily resurrection of Jesus, his death would have been for nothing and our sins would not be forgiven. This would be pointless. But because Jesus did rise from the grave and for the fact that he is the son of God, this is not pointless for us. The lives in which we live, the breath that's in our lungs, the spirit that overflows within us, the joy unending, abounding in us, is not for nothing. But rather, it's what drives us to push forward every single day with great hope, with great assurance, a great affirmation in the name of Jesus, so that way we can one day long to be with him in heaven. That's the result of the resurrection. So my question for us today is, how are we allowing this to penetrate our lives? How is it leading us? How is it guiding us in our daily uh, uh, encounters with one another, or encounters especially with those who do not even believe in Jesus? Because my friends, if you're in this room today and the power of the resurrection is not overflowing in you, do you even believe in the name of Jesus? But my goal for us today, though, as we look at 1 Corinthians 15, is for us to see what Paul says about the resurrection and why it is so essential for us and why it needs to be leading us every single day and why we need to be passionate and joyful and excited about it. So will you guys read this passage with me out of 1 Corinthians 15? You don't need to stand because it's a longer passage. Surprise. I do like long passages. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 15, 1, all the way down to verse 22. So will you read this with me? Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for, uh, for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is Paul speaking. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified that God raised Christ, 
whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. What an incredibly powerful passage this is for Paul. You got to remember, Paul, as he accounted to himself in this passage, was, was the persecutor of the church. He was once named Saul. He was this really, uh, uh, this, this really strong figurehead in, in the Jewish culture. He was, uh, as you can recall in his testimony, he was one that was all about the law. To the point to where when he saw Christians, the spreading of Christianity at the time, he said, this is, this is wrong. The law is so good that I must go and I must persecute the church. This is, this is this guy. One of the greatest persecutors of the church of all time is now sharing this message with the Corinthian church because of the greatest, one of the greatest encounters that we see in scripture where he was transformed by Jesus himself. This persecutor was transformed by the resurrected Christ and now he is proclaiming the same good news of the resurrection to those around him. And you see, when, we, when you actually look back at the context of 1 Corinthians or of the Corinthian church, they're really not much different than we are today. They were greatly uh, um, impacted by uh, the, the Greek and Roman culture. And during that time, it was all about their philosophical ideas and, and, and trying to obtain knowledge, this idea of Gnosticism. They loved to know everything. And so for the Corinthians at this time, when they hear about the resurrection, they're like, man, this is, there's no way possible. There's no way possible that a guy could be, who, who, who could die, could be buried, and three days later be risen from the grave and have nothing wrong with him. This idea absolutely blew that culture's mind. And this is what, and what we see here in these letters from 1st and 2nd Corinthians is that they're, the members of the church are being affected by that idea. They're starting to turn away from the, the, the fact that Jesus was bodily resurrected. And so what Paul is doing here is that he is reaffirming it, them of the message by which he originally shared with them and that they believed. That's why he says there in verses uh, or 1 through 3, or verses 1 and 2, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. The good news, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. I love that phrase because it's this idea of a continual process. It's not finished. For anyone who is in this room today and you're a believer in Jesus, you are being saved. It's called sanctification. You have not arrived. If you think you have arrived, you have missed the mark. And the word of God is not in you. Preach. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So again, 
when we think about this church and what Paul is addressing here in this message, it's, 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 it should resonate with us so well because it doesn't take much to look out outside of these walls and see what our culture is throwing at us. Not only in America, all around the world. About if you obtain your own knowledge, you'll be good. You'll be set. But scripture teaches the exact opposite. It's not about our knowledge. It's not about your abilities. It's not about anything you've ever done, but it's about everything that Christ has done and is continuing to do in you because he's not dead. He's resurrected. He is sitting at the right hand of God. And he's still working in us, in a, in us today. Whew, calm down, Josh. All right. <clears throat> but then Paul goes on here in the remainder of verses 3 through 11, and he lays out this gospel message so clearly for us and how there's four main components to it that we must understand that Christ, was, uh, that Christ came, that Christ died, that according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and on the, on the third day he was raised according to the scriptures. And this is something that we must not neglect. The resurrection must happen in order for the gospel to be solidified, which is the first point that I want us to see here in these verses. The resurrection solidifies the gospel. Without the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, the gospel would be powerless. And as Paul would later say, that we would still be in our sins. But then he goes on, he uh, attests to this gospel, and he only continues to solidify why the resurrection happened, because he talks about how when after the resurrection... Jesus then appeared. We see that, right? In Matthew, he appeared not only to Mary and Mary and the other women that were there with him, but then he would then reappear to his disciples, uh, to Peter and to John. He would then appear to 500 brothers at one time. And then he would go from his, the, the 500 brothers to his half-brother James, the one who actually rejected him. This is the same James that would go on to write the New Testament letter, the book of James. If the resurrection didn't happen, then why would James write that letter? His, he would not be changed. We, many scholars believe that through that one encounter of the resurrected Jesus with James, that's what transformed his life. That's what caused James from being an unbeliever to a believer. So again, if the resurrection didn't happen, then all these men, all these witnesses are lying. That's a bold statement. And that's not even including the, 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 the accounts that are taking place even today with people today, testimony after testimony, are encountering Jesus today. Now, I can, I can say I've never physically seen the resurrected Jesus. But I can at least attest to the fact that I know he dwells inside me through the Holy Spirit. But then he wraps up this section of saying, but he not only appeared to these guys, but then he also appeared to me. And this is powerful as the writer of this letter. He is affirming the power of Jesus in his own life. Again, as I said before, once the greatest persecutor of the church of all time, Saul, would now become Paul, the greatest missionary of the same gospel by which he was trying to destroy. He is now the greatest ambassador of the gospel. That does not happen by chance. You don't just wake up the next day and say, hey, I'm going to do this, right? That's the power of the resurrection of Jesus. The second thing I want us to see here, though, is that the resurrection not only solidifies the gospel, 
but it also affirms our faith. You see, Jesus tells us that for anyone who confesses and believes, right, for anyone who professes him as Savior and Lord of their life, they are saved. Paul will later talk about that in Romans, and he would also talk about it in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own works, but it's all by the works of God. This idea of, of our faith, it comes through belief in our hearts and or, yeah, belief in our hearts, confession with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And without the resurrection, that faith would be in vain. And that's what he's talking about here in verses 12 through 19. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. So again, essentially, if Paul were here and he was talking to us today, he'd say, hey, if you believe in Jesus and you're sitting in this room today, how can you believe in Jesus but not believe the resurrection? It's all part of the gospel. This is one of the greatest, I don't want to say this without getting extremely fired up about it. One of the saddest things in the churches today is that we have a tendency of taking scripture and taking the things that we like and disregarding the things that we don't like. And it is infiltrating our churches. It is being taught from the pulpits. It is being, uh, now I sound like a real Southern Baptist uh, pastor. Um, but the gospel's being ripped apart and we're, we're, the, the, the culture saying, your truth is your truth. No, this is the truth. This is the full authority and power of God. These are the very words of God. Sure, when you read through it, there may be things that you will never fully understand. Things that you will never be able to wrap your mind around. How Jonah stayed in the belly of a fish for three days. Who knows? But it happened. Because God said it did. If you believe that there is any ounce of authority in this Bible... You need to take everything as full authority and not just some of it. And that's what Paul's addressing here. If you, he says, now if Christ is proclaimed from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And then he would go on to say these, these next few verses of, well, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ is raised from the dead. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God. What a dangerous place that is. Misrepresenting God. If Christ did not raised from the dead, but yet we're here saying that he did, we are making God out to be a liar. And vice versa. Because, Christ, because God did raise Christ from the dead, and if you're saying that he did not, you're making God out to be a liar. Woe to you if you're in that situation. You're playing with fire right there. But all I have to say is that he continues on. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, and your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Guys, that's where I want to camp out right here for just a second. Without the power of the resurrection, we are hopeless. We are still in our sins. 
If Jesus did not bodily raise, if, 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 his, if he did not bodily resurrect, then he is just another mere man. He is still in the grave somewhere. But praise God, he's not. Praise God that if you are struggling with this idea of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, that there is insurmountable amount of evidence of his resurrection. Not only just the empty tomb, but when you go and you read about the eyewitness accounts of Jesus, and then when you go and see the, the archaeological evidence supporting the resurrection, you're going to be blown away. I wish I could go through all that with you. I don't have time for that. But go and research it. Be an active member of the body of Christ and go and study the word of God yourself, right? That's what we're all called to do. Sorry if I stood on toes. Um, but the resurrection affirms our faith. It affirms the very thing that we put our faith, our, our, our hope, our belief, and our trust in. And the last thing I want us to see here as we begin to wrap up is that the resurrection guarantees our resurrection. It guarantees our resurrection. You're probably thinking, why is that important? Well, you see, the promises of God, when we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, when we obtain salvation, it's not just this idea of being set free from our sins, but it's being set free from our sins and being brought into the presence of God forevermore. And God talks about, and God tells us that there will be a bodily, physical resurrection for us as well. You see, when we pass away, there will be a time where, our, where we will fall asleep, is what scripture calls it. But when Christ returns to establish his kingdom forevermore, he's not only just going to return, but he's going to, he's going to return and he's going to resurrect all of us with him. And we're going to receive our glorious body. And we're going to dwell with him forevermore. But without the bodily resurrection of Jesus, there would be no resurrection for us. Jesus had to resurrect in order to ensure the pathway for us to be able to do it with him. What a, what a great Messiah we have. Verses 20 through 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, talking about Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. Absolutely incredible. The first Adam failed to do what God has called him to do. The second Adam, Jesus, our Messiah, our Lord, the Christ, fulfilled it to the very T of the role which, he was, which was expected of him. And through that, we now are able to obtain life and life abundantly through his resurrection. That's why we're in this place today. That's why we celebrate Easter. There's a lot of tradition that surrounds this day, and I don't want to get into that. But one thing's for sure, when we leave this place, I pray that we will never neglect the full power of the resurrection and why we celebrate Easter. And I pray for those, and I, I pray that we will be praying for those who don't understand the power of the resurrection. There are so many lost souls out there who are, who are choosing to reject the gospel. 
And as a result of that, are going to be spending eternally outside the presence of God. Not just outside of his presence, but it's going to be spending eternity forever in suffering and hardship and pain. You see, the, the lack of the presence of God is not just void, but rather it's, it's complete darkness. It's complete, utter, and total chaos. We will never begin to fathom what that looks like in this life. Some of us have experienced a lot of hard things in this life. That's just a glimpse of what eternity, eternity outside of God's presence would look like. There's this phrase, and I, I was telling this to the students on Wednesday. For those of us who are in Jesus, for those of us who are in Christ, the best day in this life is, is the closest thing that we'll see in heaven on this side of heaven. Whereas, for those of us who are in Christ, the worst day on this earth is the closest thing that we'll ever experience to in hell. But when you think about those who are outside of Christ, the best day that they have in this life is the, is, is the closest thing that they'll ever experience of heaven. And the worst day in their life is just the beginning of what they'll experience in hell. You ever thought about that? It's really sobering, isn't it? So as we go throughout this day, we celebrate Easter, the life, the death, the burial and resurrection of our, G of our Lord Savior, Jesus, I pray that we will always have in the back of our minds those who we know are enemies of the cross of Christ. Those who are walking separated from the love of God. And we'll be praying for them, that they will come to know the saving power of Jesus. But I pray that we'll do it from a heart of true humility. Because the reality is, is that I don't deserve to be up here right now. Pastor Victor doesn't deserve it. None of us deserve the grace of God. Absolutely none of us. Even in our best day, our works are nothing but filthy rags. But because of the great love in which God had for his people, for his creation, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to be buried, to rise again, so that we can have access to the same grace and love in which God desires to show us. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. I pray that we'll recognize that. As we go into this time of invitation, though, I'm going to ask the musicians to come back. I'm just going to address those of us who are in the sanctuary right now and just say this. If you're in this room today and you do not know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, I pray that you will not waste another day. This life is short, it is fleeting. We're not promised tomorrow. I'm not trying to scare you into salvation. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I hope and pray, at least by the testimony of Paul and by what we see in Scripture, that you can see the power and the love of Jesus. And that how he extends that love and that power to all of us today. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, or shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Those who believe in him. It is an open invitation 
to every single one of us in this room. There's nothing too big in this life that God cannot forgive. So if you feel like you're unforgivable, tell Satan to flee. If I can be forgiven, y'all can be forgiven. So, but if you're a believer in this room today, and you're doubting the authoritative word of God, and you're, you, you, and you pick and choose what you want out of this book, I pray that you'll go before God right now and that you'll repent and that you'll come to believe every single word in this book. And that you'll watch out for those wolves in sheep clothing who are teaching false theology and false practices and truth. And I pray that if you ever get a glimpse or if you ever think that myself or Victor are teaching something that is outside of scripture, that you'll call us out on it. I pray that we'll be a church that stays so true to this word. I challenge you guys that. I, I extend that invitation on behalf of Victor and I. He doesn't know I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Hold us accountable. Because this is the way, the truth, and the life. So again, if, if, you're, if you have questions, if you want to come talk to me or talk to Victor to, to about salvation and what it looks like and or whatever the case may be, come talk to us this morning. If not, we can set aside a time for us to talk to you throughout the week or whenever that may be. But please do not neglect the opportunity, especially on a day like today where we are reflecting and, and celebrating the greatest single event in our history, the resurrection of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we come before you, and Father, as I've just said, we are just so thankful for the resurrection of Jesus. What a powerful testimony of your great love for us and the fact that you would send your son Jesus to come to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death, only to be raised from the dead so that way through that resurrection, Father, we can have access to you eternally. And I pray, Father, for any soul in this room today who has either neglected or rejected you, I pray, Father, that they will come before you now and allow you to encounter them allow you to, to, to bring them into salvation. And for any brother and sister in this room who's struggling with the authority of your scripture or any brother and sister who's questioning anything that you've done in their life, I pray, Father, they'll come before you right now, that they'll lift it to you and that you'll bring peace that surpasses all understanding. God, may we, ne may we not neglect the opportunity that we have now to come before your presence. May you have your way in each and every one of our lives. But Lord, we again praise you. We thank you for the way that you first loved us. It's in Jesus' name. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.